The failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello and welcome to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. The Association of Maternal and Child Health Programs and the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials have announced the release of a special issue of the Maternal and Child Health Journal devoted to public health approaches to perinatal substance use. This special Maternal and Child Health Journal issue builds on the evidence base by featuring 21 open access articles highlighting the latest research programs and policy initiatives in perinatal substance use disorder. I had the pleasure of attending the launch event on December 19th. Dr. Kima Joy Taylor, the founder of healthcare consulting firm Anka Consulting and a non-resident fellow at the Urban Institute, delivered a keynote address. And I do think it's important to note that I am a pediatrician. I've worked in the healthcare system, also public health practitioner um, as Deputy Commissioner Baltimore City, among other things. And I mentioned those as I'm about to throw fire on some of the systems to say I admit and I'm part of the work that needs to be done. So I'm opening this talk as I open many of my talks, partly because I love this quote, but also because it stands up in the substance use realm so well. It's a quote from the book Transcendent Kingdom by Yagyasi, and it says, I mean progress in the sense of the natural way in which learning something new requires getting rid of something old. Like how discovering the world is round means that you can no longer hang on to the idea that you might one day fall off the edge of the earth. And now, that you've learned something that you thought was true was never true at all, every idea you hold firm comes into question. And this is really true for our history's work on substance use. So I ask you to enter this work with this quote in mind, questioning our past attitudes, responses, and clinical practices towards pregnant and parenting people who use drugs. I ask that we be willing to admit that we can all learn, may have to identify deep courage to really identify new vision of the desired future and a willingness to put in the hard work to achieve this vision. When I say vision, I mean a vision where society uses a wellness framework, not a punitive framework to support people who pregnant people who use drugs. A wellness framework requires equitable access to and positive outcomes from, access and outcomes, equitable outcomes from a full continuum of physical health care, mental health, and substance use services integrated as was mentioned previously. These services have to include harm reduction and treatment and should include social services that seek to preserve and support families. A wellness frame recognizes the love between the parent, the infant, and diet and provides services that are welcoming, culturally and linguistically effective, geographically accessible, community-based, evidence-informed, and non-punitive. And when I say um, services in the future to decrease the amount of words I use, I mean all of this. And I say culturally and linguistically effective. I don't use cultural competence because I know having worked in a very diverse practice setting, I can't be competent. What I have to do is learn every day and listen hard and work in partnership to effectively work together to improve outcomes. So that's why I use those words. This type of comprehensive continuum of care is regnant is rare for all pregnant people, as we note from our abysmal maternal child health mortality rate. But it is even less accessible for pregnant people who use drugs and even less for those who have been historically and systematically excluded. But wellness is not a new vision for parents who are raising their children and centering love and well-being to the best of their ability. Despite societal and structural racism, stigma, and punitive responses that have included disproportionate family separation, despite health and healthcare systems that have pushed against them. 
these parents just need health and healthcare system and public health practitioners to get on board centering love and wellness and losing the past hostile ways of thinking. The past, know it, learn it, read it. I don't have time to do it now, but it is important to know and it's important to understand willful ignorance is simply not okay. Pretending the past didn't happen and pretending we're starting with a clean slate is not okay and will affect that achievement of equitable outcomes. But presently, we are in the midst of maternal child health crisis, as was mentioned, with poor outcomes for all of those who give birth. But again, particularly for historically and systematically excluded, and particularly for people, pregnant people who use drugs. Sadly, in many areas, the work to improve maternal child health outcomes often marginalizes, outright ignores, or continues to vilify parenting people who use drugs. It prevents them even from accessing welcoming prenatal care services that we know can improve outcomes like services for gestational diabetes, that we know can improve outcomes and yet they don't, they fear accessing these resources. When substance use, much like many other endeavors in healthcare, the devil is in the details. It's in the weeds, the weeds that so many people want to gloss over and pretend aren't important or don't exist. These weeds are key to implementation of policies that will ensure equitable well-being and family preservation outcomes for parenting and pregnant people who use drugs. But first, I want to think a little bit about equity. And I want us to pause and remember that this conversation is about equitable outcomes. So I want to share how I'm thinking about equity today. Take a moment to think about someone you love the most, someone for whom you want great things. Even when that person faces adversity, you will support them and find others to help support them so they can overcome adversity, thrive and love and be loved. Now that person you're thinking of has the capacity to become pregnant and is also using drugs and gives birth to a child. A child, and you know this to be true, a child they love more than breath, a child they love more than life itself. And so, and because you love them, you love this child too. And you wanna be there for them. Hold that person and feeling in your head. And then when I talk about equitable outcomes, think for a minute of that person and the people in every other person's head on this call. Of all colors, ethnicities, orient sexual orientations, abilities, immigration status, and every other intersectional identity that people are holding in their head and love, all of those folks should have the same possibility to achieve the highest level of health, social, emotional, physical well-being as a family. That's equity to me. And that's hard for us to achieve because of our past, particularly in this perinatal substance use space. So how do we get to equitable wellness? Folks' first instinct, and it's right, is to change basic policy to create conditions for change. Policymakers can and have created policies that ask societal actors to increase access to non-punitive evidence-informed systems, substance use systems for pregnant and parenting people who use drugs. This is so important, but also so inadequate if we truly seek equitable outcomes. What is the efficacy of a policy that does not recognize and rectify past policies and actions that promoted harms such as criminalization, child removal, family surveillance, barriers to accessing culturally and linguistically effective evidence-informed substance use services, including medication and harm reduction? Am I coming in for your new access if it means my child may still be taken away? If I still may be reported and face criminal charges? If I'm still unable to find non-judgmental, welcoming, culturally, linguistically effective, evidence-informed substance use providers and services, if prenatal care is not open, and then when it is open, it opens me up to surveillance that may ultimately lead to the removal of my child. 
opening me up to the idea that a non-consented urine drug test, which is not clinically a test for substance use disorder, parenting, or child abuse, but could be a reason that my child's taken away. Am I coming in? Maybe not. So maybe more has to happen with that access. Individual and public health and healthcare systems never learned or chose not to learn how to provide a full containment of welcoming substance use services for parents, families, and communities that center equitable outcomes for wellness and family preservation. So it's not enough to craft a policy to tell insurers and providers they now have to do something they have no idea to do. We have to implement it in a way that truly supports equitable well-being outcomes. So I'd say to start, and one way to probably get closer to better equitable outcomes is to ask for help. To help wisdom and partnership from folks of childbearing age and pregnant and parenting people who use or have used drugs. Listen, what services do they deem effective? Where can you find those services and what makes those services compatible with being welcoming and not judgmental? Also, talking and listening to the solutions that have already been created and the new ones that people have envisioned. Community have solutions that they've been forced to create while the rest of the world was punishing them. Listen for those. But also, our society has solutions. Just take a look at alcohol. Alcohol has a harm reduction frame, family preservation frame, complete with early intervention for fetal alcohol sequelae, conversations about how to still breastfeed and, and get rid of the milk um, so that you can continue breastfeeding should you drink alcohol, babysitting when a parent seeks to use, free Uber so parents don't have to drive and can decrease harm. All of these bathed in an expectation of family preservation unless there are other factors of concern. So we can ask about and learn from the past solutions that existed in spite of past punitive, um, punitive policies. It's going to take time to build trust and support and make space for diverse voices of parenting parenting and pregnanting people who use drugs and their families to talk to policymakers. And it's going to take time for policymakers and system actors to truly understand how to listen for what some of the barriers and facilitators are, but also some of the solutions. And not just listen for the solutions that fit into what they already want to do, but listen to those solutions that will help achieve equitable outcomes for all of the diverse people that we're holding in our head that we love dearly. Such work requires time, dedicated infrastructure, and must be financially supported and sustained. But the second piece of help we need to ask for is really from the broad category of substance use care providers. And I limit to substance use only for this talk. But really, this is an odd mix of folks, right? We can't pretend it's just social workers, peers, nurses, um, PAs, doctors, other healthcare professionals. Actors have great say in how and where care is provided. It's regulators that determine care provision rules and benefit packages, insurers that can decide what services they will or won't authorize, which medications they will or won't cover. It's public health actors and departments that decide if and when they'll provide harm reduction, COVID, TB services in an accessible manner for people who are currently or have used drugs. And even the researchers who are doing the research to understand where and how to provide cost-effective services. The majority of these providers and systems and actors have lacked institutional diversity for years. They've often ignored or held disdain for people who use drugs and have often produced their own social and employment inequities based on race, ethnicity, language, immigration status, and other intersectional identities. Giving them a policy that says, okay, now expand access, isn't going to also requires them to really reassess who they are 
and reassess and have an understanding of how the past has influenced their current structures in a way that is not going to allow for equitable outcomes to be achieved. And so it's having them assess, do we even know what a full continuum of substance use services from prevention to harm reduction, treatment and recovery even are? What are those services? And in this assessment, it may reveal that they've pushed back against some of these services, whether it's accessing Medicaid for pregnant people, whether it's accessing harm reduction services. But global outcomes requires us to demand this transformation. And as I said, I'm part of the systems, right? So from all of us. Where and how can this transformation start? I'm only gonna offer a few ideas because I'm only on for 15 minutes. But first I'd like to say, starting with landscaping, what even exists? Where are those? And this again requires talking to pregnant and parenting people who have and currently use drugs. But where does exist these resources that provide cultural linguistically effective services and the full capacity of them? This landscaping must include verbal contextual feedback from people and not only ask them what exists, but where do you truly want to go? What do you truly want to use? Some of this work can be used, can be done using community not community hospital um, benefit money. For landscaping, I promise you, landscaping is going to reveal that these culture, there's not enough of these cultural linguistically effective services. I promise you, there's not enough. And this is a barrier to this policy becoming reality. So we have to stop saying we're gonna have these expansion policies that act as if effective providers are going to miraculously appear tomorrow, particularly culturally and linguistically effective non-judgmental providers. So we have to start thinking about how to evaluate, develop and evaluate for efficacy programs, practices and policies that will diversify and grow the field of providers in all areas of substance use services. We can grow this workforce from borrowing from current health and other diversification expansion efforts but also work with students to develop new pathways and programs that make them want to enter into these workforces. Finally, we have to hold current providers to account, ensuring they're seeking to diversify and provide evidence-informed, cultural, linguistically effective care for pregnant and pe parenting people who use drugs. Creating a workforce that ultimately, from frontline to leadership, reflects the diversity of the clients we see, and that, and then require that they're educated in how to provide, regardless of their demographics, how to provide culturally humble patient-centered substance use services that will lead to equitable outcomes. Once we diversify and grow the workforce, we need to create practices and policies to help make sure that we can support and sustain this workforce. How can we expand and develop new reimbursement strategies that account for the time it takes in order to create the relationships to create this um, patient-based relationship? And again, reimbursement is about money, but it's also about time. We keep acting as if it doesn't take time to create these relationships. And sometimes what we do is we'll say, what we'll do, the provider doesn't have time, the doc. So we'll have the social worker create this relationship. Then we give the social worker like a 30 to one client, um, client to person ratio, obviating the ability for them to have the time. So we say, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to add diverse peers and we're going to have make sure they create the relationship. Then we get peers, I no lie, heard in one instance where it's a hundred to one peer relationship. So they can't create the time. We can't recreate the core things we've already done. So reimbursing in ways that allows for the time that's necessary for people to create the trusting relationships that will lead to better engagement and partnered care that can help lead to um, more equitable, more family preservation and well-being outcomes. And lastly in the space, current and future health actors of all type need education. And I'm not just talking about education on how to provide medications for people who use opioids. This is important, but again, not sufficient. 
It's really about changing and, and, and transforming what's taught in schools and clinical practices, requiring mastery of the understanding of what is a full continuum of substance use services from prevention to harm reduction, treatment and recovery. The education should be throughout the health professional system and it cannot allow providers to cherry pick, well, I wanna offer that evidence-based care, but not harm reduction. Oh, I wanna offer this medication because it goes along with what I believe, but not others. It really is a partnered relationship where the clients, much like other diseases, get to understand and dictate the care, just like we do for secondary prevention and all other chronic health diseases. Finally, there's a need for regulators, insurers, educational and others to understand and pay for this full continuum of care, including medications and um, harm reduction in ways that really provide access to and equitable outcomes from these culturally and linguistically effective services. So to recap before moving to the last piece, policymakers can and do create policies to expand access, but implementation counts for equitable outcomes. Partnering is important, but so is the last piece of accountability. This is a two-step process. Hard to talk about accountability if you're not sure what you're measuring. We have to create new measures that center equitable wellness, family preservation outcomes for perinatal substance use. This requires, again, working in deep partnership with the people who've been affected, communities, families, people who, pregnant and parenting people who use drugs, practitioners and everyone to really develop quantitative and qualitative patient-centered well-being measures. We gotta ask people if what the numbers are saying is actually true. Do they truly feel welcome? Are they tr truly achieving the services they need? Measures that center love, physical, emotional, and social well-being outcomes and family preservation. Once defined, tested, and retested, system actors need to learn how to collect, disaggregate, which does require understanding how to collect um, self-identified data, but collect, disaggregate, analyze, and use their data to assess where inequities exist. Once they identify these inequities, they need to act to eradicate them. This isn't flipping on a switch all of a sudden. Folks have been born and these punitive responses and this disdain. And so it requires education once more and will take time and attention. But once these inequities are identified, society has to hold substance use systems and all of us actors in the individual and public health systems and social service systems accountable for achieving positive equitable outcomes. I say positive because I wanna be clear. I don't mean having equity so that then we put all the white wealthy people in jail um, and criminalize them and take away their kids. We want equitable, positive well-being outcomes. So accountability may require actors and systems for moving somewhat slowly to create performance improvement plans that outlines how they're gonna move more quickly to eradicating inequities. It may require working with partners and people on the ground to help them understand how to achieve this. Where there's slower progress, it might mean that, or push back, it may mean that folks need to be fined. And these fines need to clearly delineate why they're being fined and how they can avoid being fined in the future. And it could be used as a tool to really move progress. But if there's an egregious lack of progress, this may require folks lose funding, lose contracting, lose accreditation, even as we're needing to grow a workforce. Because people really deserve access to high quality, culturally, linguistically effective, community-based, non-punitive services that really support equitable well-being and family preservation outcomes. There are ways to think about implementing the policies we seek and to really achieve those equitable outcomes. But to do that, we have to include pregnant and parenting people who use drugs. We have to include the actors who are providing the services and be honest about where they stand and where they stand in the past and where we need to go. And we have to understand that people have a right for this chronic health concern to have chronic, to have health and social responses that seek to support their well-being and support their family preservation. 
We as a society can ensure equitable access to and positive outcomes from full continuum of care. We simply have to admit that that's what we wanna do and be honest and willing to work in the weeds and work in partnership to get there. So let's roll up our sleeves and get working. That was Dr. Kima Joy Taylor, founder of the healthcare consulting firm Anka Consulting and a non-resident fellow at the Urban Institute. She delivered the keynote address at the launch event December 19th for a special edition of the Maternal and Child Health Journal devoted to public health approaches to perinatal substance use. You're listening to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Let's hear some more. Here's Laura Sternberger, Director of Pregnant and Postpartum Women's Services and Director of the Massachusetts Moms Do Care Program at the Institute for Health and Recovery. I am here to talk about the Massachusetts Moms Do Care Program, which is a multi-pronged approach to creating and sustaining seamlessly integrated webs of regional support for pregnant, postpartum, and parenting people and their families impacted by substance use disorder. We began in 2015 thanks to a SAMHSA grant administered by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, and we have grown from two healthcare systems to 11. Currently eligible clients are 18 or older, have a history anytime in their life of substance use concerns, any substance, and are parenting a child 36 months or younger. The program works in both clinical direct service and system level domains. The direct service objective is to build integrated specialized multidisciplinary teams adept in best practices serving this population. The site teams differ from site to site, but usually include a repertoire of primary obstetrical, pediatric, nursing, behavioral health and addiction providers, social workers, and most importantly, perinatal peer recovery coaches. All staff involved in the care of this population are offered training in, among other things, trauma-informed and recovery-oriented approaches to clients and to each other, with the understanding that the approaches that support clients also support the providers. And because the work is informed by the best practices in caring for this population, as well as the universally applicable principles of recovery, our perinatal peer recovery coaches hold a central role on each team. Perinatal peer recovery coaches not only act as engagement specialists, care coordinators, wellness and recovery coaches and data gatherers, They also act as thought leaders when considering program implementation, system change, and policy development. In the system domain, in the system domain level, in the system level domain, Moms Do Care helps to create and maintain these integrated and regional continuums of clinical care by building and enhancing the relationships and collaborations among all of the providers who support this population pregnancy through early childhood. This includes, but is also not limited to, the departments throughout the healthcare systems, the community-based primary obstetrical, pediatric, addiction, behavioral health organizations, and our local child welfare offices. The trainings and TA in trauma-informed and recovery-oriented practices often serve as a catalyst for building and sustaining these relationships among the providers. Once again, the Moms Do Care Perinatal Peer recovery expertise, experience, and leadership is central to all of, the, all of these initiatives because they not only represent the critical family voice in these collaborations, they also provide a model for what long-term recovery and well-being looks like, which is impactful both for best client care practices and our provider sustainability. Later in the webinar, I'll touch on some of our lessons learned and strategies for the recruitment, hiring, supervision, support, and advancement of the perinatal peer recovery coach workforce and the moms to care sustainability work will 
continue to involve healthcare leaders and managed care organizations to both budget for and finance this wraparound multidisciplinary model and to help create a culture that helps to sustain the highly trained and specialized workforce. That was Laura Sternberger, Director of Pregnant and Postpartum Women's Services and Director of the Massachusetts Moms Do Care Program at the Institute for Health and Recovery. Here's Dr. Sarah Reese, an assistant professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Montana. I'm here representing the Montana Obstetric and Maternal Support Program. This is a HRSA-funded maternal health innovation grant, and the grant is a partnership between the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services, the University of Montana Rural Institute for Inclusive Communities, and Billings Clinic. Dr. Annie Glover is the principal investigator and lead evaluator on that grant, and I serve as the primary investigator on one initiative, which is implementing universal screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment, or ESPERT, for perinatal substance use. And our study assessed the barriers and facilitators of implementing ESPERT in an outpatient obstetric clinic. This clinic serves a large rural service area with chronic mental health, primary care, maternity care, professional shortages. We assessed implementation efforts by analyzing the frequency of universal screening and referral to treatment, as well as implementation team meeting notes, a semi-structured focus group and interviews with clinic staff. In the first year of implementation, we found the 48.5% of patients receiving care in the clinic completed a standardized screener uh, at least once during their perinatal period. Screening occurred in approximately a fourth of eligible visits, and we identified several barriers to implementation, for example, a perceived lack of time in competing priorities during office visits and delays in integrating ESPERT into the electronic record, uh, health record. We also identified facilitators of implementing ESPERT in, in that we were able to get about half of people um, to complete a screener. Um, those uh, those um, facilitators included things like engagement of a physician champion and support of clinic leadership. Um, and really based on these findings, we are currently implementing a structured quality improvement process guided by the Institute for Quality Healthcare Improvement Model to build a more resilient expert system into the day-to-day -day workings of the clinic. We brought in more people, more people to the table. We provided more comprehensive and ongoing training, education, and support to clinic staff. And we are integrating the expert process into the electronic medical record in a more meaningful way. Um, and we're hoping that other, you know, people who are trying to do this in different clinics will learn from some of the challenges we faced and can um, address some of those in their own efforts. That was Dr. Sarah Reese, an assistant professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Montana. Here's Jesse Fuchs, an epidemiologist at the New Mexico Department of Health. So using some determinations that the MMRC made about cause of death, contributing factors to the death preventability, um, as well as information about the cases themselves, we completed an analysis of all pregnancy-associated deaths from 2015 to 2019 in New Mexico. Uh, we determined which ones were substance use disorder related. So these are deaths where substance use disorder was either a cause of death or a contributing factor to the death. And we completed, or, so we completed analyses to assess risk factors for having this type of death and then also looked at patterns of substance use. So just a few quick findings. We found that half of all deaths from 2015 to 2019 were substance use disorder related. And half of these deaths um, had evidence of documented substance use in their prenatal care record. So missing a lot of evidence there. Um, and we also found that substance use disorder related deaths were more likely to die in the late postpartum period. So in those six weeks to one year after or in postpartum more likely to have a primary cause of death of mental health conditions, more likely to die of an overdose, and more likely to experience one or more social stressor. 
We also found that over 60% of people with a substance use disorder related death engaged in polysubstance use, so using one or more substance. That was Jesse Fuchs, an epidemiologist at the New Mexico Department of Health. She spoke at the launch event December 19th for a special edition of the Maternal and Child Health Journal devoted to public health approaches to perinatal substance use. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Century of Lies. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Century of Lies is a volunteer production for community radio syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's Audio Port Service. Please support your local community radio station. Become a member. Become a volunteer. Find this edition of Century along with an archive of past shows at the Drug Truth Network website, drugtruth.net. You'll find a link there to subscribe to the Century of Lies podcast. We'll be back in a week with 30 more minutes of news and information about drug policies and the failed war on drugs. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying so long. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the century of lies. Drug Truth Network programs archived at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. Thank you.